so much. Hey, uh, a lot of you know, maybe, probably we've been talking about this a little bit, that Nancy and I just dropped our baby Matthew off at college. Um, it worked out well. Uh, we were there Thursday, Friday. I will tell you this, that they have a whole bunch of booths around and tables around on Friday, and Matthew was walking around. The only one he stopped at was the FCA booth. So I was like, yes, yes, go. Right, Alan? Amen. Right to that? Yeah, he stopped, and they've got FCA up at George Fox, so I'm excited about this. And, um, and it was, we, we had a great time together. They end the night, I think APU does something similar like this, is they have all the parents and kids out on a field type of a deal. They have some worship time. They give everybody a little candle. They light the candle, and it kind of goes, and you all light your candle, and you light the candles around you, and you go that, and, and it was fine. It was good, and you're holding your candles, and then they said, just hold the candle up, and they said, imagine um, that your student is a light to the world, and we're thinking, oh, that's so great. That's awesome. Yes, Matthew, be a light to the world. That will be awesome, and then they said, and remember back to that first birthday party when there was only one candle on their cake. And I thought, no, why'd you take us there? You're taking my baby. What is going on here? But, oh, well, it was a great time, and we had a really, it was excellent. He's doing great, so. Hey, we are uh, in a series on the one another's. Uh, the book of Romans is an incredible book in the Bible. It is a letter that was written by Paul. He was probably in Corinth when he wrote it. And it is the, probably the deepest theological letter we have in the New Testament. The first 11 chapters are all this incredible theology about who God is and, and who we are and what it's like to have a relationship with him and what that looks like. Chapter 12, it changes a little bit and talks about then how do you live this out. And when you get to chapter 15 in Romans, there's about three times where you're like, okay, you could end it there. Three times he goes, may the God of grace do da, 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 this, or may God do this, 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 amen. And then you get to the end of chapter 15, he ends with, pray for me, amen. And you're thinking, that'd be a great place to end this letter. And yet he continues on with Romans chapter 16. And that's what we're going to look at today is Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. And if you come to church desiring to watch me mispronounce names and places, this is your lucky day. Okay? So here we go. It will be up behind me. Romans 6, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church of Chesria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor to me, of many people, including me. One thing just about Phoebe is they, most scholars believe Phoebe is the one who carries this letter from Corinth to Rome, that she is the one who does that. He continues, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Gives us a picture of what the church was like back then. It was probably house churches that would meet all over this large city of Rome, all over the place. It says, um, greet my dear friend Epentus, who was the first convert to Christ in the providence of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junai, the fellow, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampiliatus, my
my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stascius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcius, who are in the Lord. Greet Typhrina, Typrosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, who is chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Astrachus, Philemon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermas, and their other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, got that one. Um, <laughs> Nurses and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, then he goes on and he talks about how he cautions them to be very careful about what teaching comes into the church. He doesn't want them to follow any false teaching and he doesn't want anything to come in that would actually divide the church. And then he says, and here's all the people that are with me who send my greetings to you. Verse 21, Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you as do Lucius, Jason, and Soshbavar, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Um, Erstinus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quatrus, send you their greetings. Now, oftentimes, what we do when we see a, a chapter like this, or sort of like the genealogies that are in Matthew and Mark, you just kind of skip over them. You're like, oh, man, what is this doing in the Scriptures? But this was the last part of this incredible letter that Paul writes. And what this reminds me is this. Paul knows a lot of people. He knows a bunch of people. Now, yes, theology is super important, talking about who God is and all that, but, but for Paul, this is really about relationships too. It's so important. Now, if you, um, when you read this chapter, he, he greets at least 26 by name. He greets several churches that meets in homes. He closes with greetings from believers who are with him of about nine or so that are with him. If you notice, if you read this through the eyes of a first century, you would notice that some of the names are Jewish and some of the names are uh, Gentile. And in that day, Jews and Gentiles typically wouldn't mix. But here, in this church that meets in, that's in Rome, these people would meet. You would also know, if you were able to understand this, that some of the names actually are slave names. And the beginnings of the church, oftentimes, slaves were drawn into the body of Christ because of what they experienced there. But also, some of the names are of really wealthy people, too, and people that are in high positions of leadership in the government. And so, again, you've got this incredible socioeconomic difference in this church. Um, you would also notice that Paul greets so many women in this text. At least nine of the 26 are women. Five of them are especially commended for their ministry in the church. So here's what this means to me. Church and ministry is really, at its heart, about relationships. It's about relationships. And then in verse 16, Paul writes this, and here's our one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So earlier in the week, Annika's putting the bulletin together. And she goes, what do you want to title your sermon? Do you want me to title it, Greet One Another with a Holy Kiss? And I said, yes, I do. And if you got here early enough to read, you might be looking at that and going, uh-oh, what is going on? 
Don, a couple of weeks ago, we, we sang the doxology and we had to look at each other when we were singing. And now he's going to have us greet one another with a holy kiss. You're nervous, aren't you? You're a little nervous with this, I can tell. All right, here's what it means. And this is so important, I think. We'll break it down. Greet. It means to welcome kindly. The word actually comes from a word that means to embrace one another. That's what it really means to greet each other. So you're welcoming somebody kindly. You're embracing them. Kiss. This was the common way in Jesus' day that people would greet each other. It would be a kiss on each side of the cheek. We see that in foreign countries, Europe, Middle East, that this is how they would greet each other. But then he puts in this word holy. And what that means, I believe, is that this greeting has to do with God. That this is a greeting much more than just, I'm getting to be a friend with you, but this is some, there's a depth of this. There's a depth in this that's greater than just ordinary friendship. That we can greet one another, we can kindly embrace one another, we can, uh, for us, the kiss would be like a handshake or a hug or something along those lines. But that we're greeting each other, basically, in the name of Jesus, we greet one another. Because here's the truth. We are made for relationships. We're made for relationships. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is much more than just a marriage chapter or anything like that. It's, it's really about relationships. That at, at our heart, we've been created for relationships with one another. Friendships, deep friendships with one another. But because of sin and the fall, we, we have broken relationships, right? We have a broken relationship with God, and we have a broken relationships often with one another. We are filled with these basic insecurities sometimes. We, we, we grow selfish. We can grow lonely because we don't experience the depth of relationship that we're created for. Yes, all of us definitely need time alone, and we need time with people. We need to have more of a balance or a cycle in our lives of being alone on our own, but we all desperately need to have relationships and friendships with other people. We've been created for relationships, and that is how we flourish. I really believe it. We flourish when we are in deep, meaningful, God-centered relationships. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the writer says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other one can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will be kept warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That we can help each other. That if one falls down, you can help them up. That if one gets attacked, you can defend them. That we are created for these type of relationships where we can help each other and we can flourish in the midst of them. Tim Keller has this quote that's really, a really strong quote. He says, ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. That is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. If you favor money, power, and accomplishment over human relationships, you will dash yourselves on the rocks of reality. He says, hey, this is what it's all about. 
I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. This is what the universe, God, and history, and life is all about. It's about having a group of people that love and care for one another and finding your place in that. And then you have to think about what is it that would cause people to come to church? What is it that would cause somebody to get up on a Sunday and say, I'm going to try and go to church? Or maybe I want to join and be a part of a community, a church community. And I believe it's this. They're looking for connection. First and foremost, I think people really realize that there is something missing in their lives. And they're desiring that connection with God. And so they're looking for something like that. But secondly, I think people would come to a church like this because they're looking for connection with other people. They realize that depth of relationship that's so needed, and they're thinking, maybe I'll find that there. I'll find that connection. I'll find relationship. I heard a story a, a couple weeks ago about a pastor here, I believe in Southern California, who uh, is part of pastor of a pretty big church. Uh, they have a service at 9 and another service at 11. The 9 o'clock service uh, went very well. There was a pretty full crowd. The worship was good. He felt like pretty good about his sermon and all that stuff. He greeted some folks afterwards, and then he went into his office. He had a little bit of time to kill before the next service started. And he noticed uh, or figured out that there was a message on the answering machine or on the phone. So he uh, listened to it. And on the uh, other side, it's a woman. And the woman said, hi, um, I'm just wondering how I get tickets for your service. Can you call me back? He's like, tickets for our service? What, what do you mean? How, what's that mean? So he called the woman back. He said, well, I, I got your message. I don't really know what you mean by tickets for our service. He said, well, my husband and I, um, we don't really go to church. But we decided to come. And so we, we got, went to your 9 o'clock service. We, uh, we got there a, a little early. They didn't realize you can show up late to church yet. So as they showed up a little early. Um, that's a little joke. Um, so... Uh, they, uh, and she said, we're sitting there and kind of getting ready for the service, and uh, someone, a woman came up and said, oh, excuse me, but you're sitting in my seats. And she goes, well, we didn't really understand what that meant, but we gathered our stuff and realized we probably needed tickets for a seat, so we left. Excuse me, you're in my seat. So on your sermon notes, there's a little fill-in, one fill-in. It says, we've been expecting you. That's the attitude I hope we as a church would have, is that we would be expecting that visitors and guests would come. We would be expecting that people maybe we don't know very well would be coming. But we've been expecting you. So here's some things that I would hope that we as a church develop and that we become. The first thing is this. Pray for visitors to come to Baseline and that we would be welcoming. This week, what would it be like to pray that the Lord would bring visitors and guests and that we as a church would welcome them well, that we would greet them with a holy kiss? Invite people to join our church family. Invite people throughout the week. Have you ever thought of going to church? Do you go to church somewhere? What about coming and being a part of this? Because people are looking for connection with God and others. The other thing I'd ask you is, what frame of mind do you come to a church service with? Are you coming asking, what can I get or what can I give? Now, now I realize sometimes 
we come to on a Sunday morning, and it is just everything just to get us here, and we are so in need of whatever God can give us. We're feeling so empty inside. We're feeling beaten down, whatever it might be, and we come and we say, Lord, just, I, just fill me up. I need something. But I would hope there will be other times where you would come and say, you know what? What can I give here today? What can I give to another person? What encouragement could I give? What greeting could I give? And realize that it's not really all about me. You know, last week, uh, Linda Miller preached on hospitality and service, and she did a really great job. And she said that we are, and this is a phrase that's often used for service, that we are Jesus with skin on, and we are the hands and feet of Christ. And that is so true when it comes to serving other people. But I wondered about, what, about, what if we thought about that when it comes to greeting others? That when we greet others, we are actually the hands and feet of Christ. That when I shake someone's hand and look them in the eye, I am actually Christ with skin on welcoming them into this body. That we are the hands and feet of Christ that would invite others into this community of faith. And here's a question for you. What do you think are the three most important minutes in a worship service for a visitor? What do you think? What are the three most important minutes? When they first walk in, Greeting, a lot of people don't like the greeting time. I was hoping it'd be the sermon, but actually I, um, <laughs> or you, pro- you probably were hoping it'd be the sermon. It was three minutes, but here's what it, at a seminar it said, and it was set up front here. The most, three most important uh, minutes of a worship service for a visitor are the three minutes right after the service is over. Because if you're new and you go to some place, you sit through this thing and your guy, well, that was pretty good, and you stand up and you're like, Okay, what do I do now? Don't know anybody. Okay, I think I'll just leave. So those three minutes right afterwards are crucial for us as the body of Christ to extend this incredibly warm welcome that I believe Christ wants us to extend. You see, we want to help people move to be connected through this greeting well, but we want to help them move from just attending church to helping assimilate them and to feel like they belong in this body, that they are a contributing member of this body. It's crucial. And it all can begin with an authentic greeting with a holy kiss, a holy handshake, a holy look in the eye, a holy remembering their name. And God can use that in powerful ways. You never know who you might meet. Think about it. People who are your best friends or even your spouse, it it began with some type of a greeting sometime. Hi, nice to meet you. And what could it mean on a Sunday morning when we greet one another? You don't know where it could lead. And our hope is, as I kind of wrap this up, is that our relationships and our friendships would actually move into what we call a spiritual friendship and that we would experience the transforming power of a spiritual friendship. A friendship which is centered and, and foundational on Christ. That we were our friends, and, and, here, and here's what Tim Keller says about spiritual friendship. He says, spiritual friendship is eagerly helping one another know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. That we realize, I'm not going to try and do this on my own. I'm going to find others that can help me do this. And that we would, I love that, eagerly help one another to resemble Christ more and more. 
And that that's what it means to have a spiritual friendship that can begin with just a really warm greeting and a connecting. Adele Calhoun writes this about spiritual friendships. It says, as friends open their spiritual journeys to one another in the presence of Christ, they both step onto holy ground. Spirit connects with spirit. Spiritual friends donate themselves to one another in love. They go out of their way to practice the biblical one another's together because the bond of love, friends can hear truths from each other that they can't with non-friends. Furthermore, loyal spiritual friends help one another experience their true belovedness. Isn't that great? That when you have a spiritual friendship, it's more than just, hey, we're friends and we talk about just what's going on with our kids or whatever, but we talk about what the Lord is doing in our life. And we can remind us, remind each other of our belovedness in Christ, that we are deeply loved by God, and we so need to have that type of input into our lives to be reminded that we are deeply loved by God. So I was um, looking on, studying some stuff about spiritual friendship, and I came across this one church that has a program. This is not a program we have, but it's just something to throw out there. And if this is something that the Lord says, yeah, you know what, that'd be good for you, think about it. It's really easy to remember. It's 321. And what that stands for is this. Three people, two hours, once a month. Could you find two other people to meet with once a month for a couple hours and just share, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's how you can pray for me and how you could remind each other of the belovedness of God in your life. Again, it's not about trying to do this on our own. And it can all begin with just this, this greeting, this warm greeting, this, this greeting one another with a holy kiss that God calls us to do. It's a simple command to greet each other, but it has major ramifications. Do I really come to church? Am I really a part of a church? Am I here because I care for other people? Am I looking to see what I can give as opposed to what I can get? Am I willing to put myself out there and deeply greet somebody opening myself up for a relationship and not knowing where that might lead and where that might go, but that it might be just what I need and what they need to grow in relationship. Because here's the truth. We were created for relationship. People come to church seeking after that relationship. First and foremost, yes, with God. But secondly, with one another. So may we be a church. Please, please, let's be a church with the attitude of, hey, we've been expecting you. We're so excited you're here. We want to introduce you to who Christ is, and we want to introduce you to one another because that is what the church is really supposed to be. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, um, we have been created for relationships and force, first and foremost with you. Thank you, Lord, that we can encourage each other in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you can remind us how deeply loved we are through others. And so my prayer, Lord, is for us as a church is that we would learn what it means to greet each other well, to greet each other with a holy kiss, to invite others into relationship with you and with a a body of believers 
For Lord, that is how we change. That's how we grow. That's how we're different. Help us, Lord, to expect to greet others well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.